Hello, everyone. I'm Jamie Dury for National Preview Online, and welcome to another National Preview Online podcast. If you have not already done so, please subscribe to us. If you're an iPhone user or an iPad user, you can find us in the iTunes App Store under NP Online. That's our podcast name. Please follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash National Preview Online for our Facebook page and our website, nationalpreviewonline.com. By all means, feel free to email us at nationalpreviewonline at gmail.com with any questions you may have or topics you would like to suggest for us to cover. Labor Day weekend is upon us. And now as the election draws near and it's apparent to even the dim-witted Democratic governors who run many of these blue states, that people have become fed up. They've become fed up with this COVID-19 fear-mongering. They've become fed up with Black Lives Matter protests that turn into riots. <coughs> They've become fed up, excuse me, with Antifa and all of these left-of-center uh, fringe groups that are out there in pursuit of social justice ostensibly, but are doing so at the expense of people who have no ax to grind and are simply trying to make a living. This does nothing but foster violence from the other side as people come to the defense of innocent people that they feel are being preyed upon by the aforementioned uh, BLM members and Antifa. So this is a vicious cycle. And now we see that uh, as Labor Day approaches, a change in tone, a change in tune on the part of uh, some of these people in the Democratic Party. Now they're starting to denounce it and so forth and so on. So I thought I would make a little podcast, even though it's not going to be a very, very long one, to leave you with something to ponder over the Labor Day weekend. You see in the state of New Jersey, for instance, the governor now realizing that maybe he's kept his state down too long is opening up indoor dining just in time uh, for, what the devil do we have here, something, just uh, for the Labor Day weekend so that the people can salvage something. Meanwhile, restaurateurs in New York City are suffering. They still can't have indoor dining, and uh, people are crowding onto the street because they can't get inside an establishment. And instead of trying to cut a little slack for these restaurant owners, the governor and his henchmen are out in force trying to invoke social distancing guidelines and penalize them, and still, of course, no penalization for the rioters and the looters. So, how's this all shaking out? Well, a lot of things are starting to hit the fan, but one of the things that I wanted to speak about, and I've mentioned it in several broadcasts, but something occurred to me the other day, so I thought that I would investigate it, is a little bit more on this mail-in voting. Now, mail-in voting uh, is something we really never had much of before, uh, but now we're getting it. And we're getting it because people on the left are pushing for it, and they're pushing for it uh, because they see it as, as a way to add votes corruptly, uh, in my view. Now, there are deadlines. There are deadlines for absentee ballots. There are deadlines for mail-in ballots. And that is something that struck me the other day. The deadlines. Now, why? Well, there was an article that was posted on Axios.com 
uh, I think it was posted the beginning of the week or at the very, very end of last week. And a lot of people didn't pay attention to it. Now, Rush Limbaugh covered this on his show. And now other people are starting to cover it in the mainstream media. And the upshot of the article was basically that they were saying, you know, it's going to look like Trump has won on a landslide on election evening, but just wait. Wait about two weeks once all those absentee ballots or mail-in ballots are counted, and you're going to find that Trump didn't win by any landslide. In fact, you're going to find that Trump has lost. So it made me think, what if the plan is to mail in the ballots after the election? Is there a deadline for these states that have mail-in voting? I mean, think about it. If you're a lefty and you're sitting home and you're looking at the state of uh, Ohio and you know it's a swing state or Pennsylvania and you see that uh, Fox News or ABC or someone has declared Trump as the projected winner in that state because they have to report something on election eve. They just can't say, well, we'd love to call the election for you, but we can't because uh, everybody's mailing in their votes and we haven't got the totals yet. So we'll just say, come back and see us in two weeks. No, they have to report something. So supposing they report that the state of Pennsylvania has been won by Donald Trump by a margin of uh, 45,000 votes. And so they just have 50,000 ballots ready to go. They mail them in. They're counted, and lo and behold, Donald Trump loses Pennsylvania by 5,000 votes. So it seemed to me that in order for this mail-in voting to have any semblance of, of legitimacy, there has to be some type of deadline. Well, these deadlines are kind of fast and loose. I've gone through them here. There's a whole list online. Alabama, the deadline to request an application is the 29th of October. There is no early voting. But the ballot, if it's mailed in, must be received by 12 p.m. on November 3rd. In Alaska, all it has to do is be postmarked by November 3rd. Now, I really have a problem with these postmarks because in the, on the left coast, it says it has to be postmarked by November 3rd. On the left coast in California, places like that, Nevada, all that, um, there's a three-hour time difference. So you can go to the central post office in your city, and when you hear that uh, ballots, that, that states in the east are being called and the polls are closing, what's to prevent fraudulent ballots from being mailed from any part of the country in response to news that's being reported in the moment that shows the margin of victory for Trump, and so that these false ballots, these illegal ballots, are mailed in in sufficient numbers to counteract the legitimate margin of victory that Trump may or may not have experienced in these states that he's carrying. This is a very, very serious problem. And I don't really know how we're going to get around it. Because it says that it has to be received by November 3rd, and some of the states, like Connecticut, says here it has to be postmarked by November 3rd. Louisiana is received by November 3rd. Uh, I'm just going randomly. Massachusetts, postmarked by November 3rd. Michigan, received by November 3rd. Let's look at some of the more uh, important states that are states that aren't reliably predictable one way or the other. Let's look at Florida. Florida, received by November 3rd. At least that's good. It's got to be received by November 3rd, 7 p.m. And let's look at the other swing states. Let's look at um, Ohio. 
Well, let's look at Michigan, because Michigan, Michigan has to be received by November 3rd, actually Election Day. That's good. We have Ohio, or North Carolina, postmarked by November 3rd, 5 p.m. Now, that can be manipulated. I had friends that worked in the post office. You'd be surprised the things they can do. Ohio, postmarked by November 2nd. That's good, but that can be played with. It can be mailed on November 3rd and postmarked November 2nd if you have a friend in the post office. And there are sympathizers in the post office. Pennsylvania, received by November 3rd. See, I like these received dates a lot better because that can't be played with. Postmarking can be played with. So what I'm trying to say is we have a tremendous, tremendous uh, potential for fraud here. Now, the Axios article, and I'm getting this from Axios as well. I'm getting this mail-in voting from Axios. And it says here why it matters. Millions of Americans who normally vote in person on Election Day will turn to early voting or mail-in ballots this fall. But that only works if you understand your state's rules, deadlines, and how to ensure your vote is counted. This election year, voters need to take more time and effort to navigate the challenges of the pandemic. It would be critical for voters to have updated information. Listen, I have the best advice for all of you. Unless you're sick, unless you're infirmed, get your lazy butt off the chair, walk into the ballot uh, station, and cast your vote. Because it's amazing to me the number of states that don't even require an excuse. Here on Axios's website, they have the map colored. A real dark purple indicates that ballots are mailed to active voters. Um, so it's only in Washington state, for instance, they only mail ballots to active voters. In the states that look a little more light-colored, like a grayish-purple, no excuse is needed for a mail-in ballot. And then in other states that are colored almost like a gray, and that would include like Missouri, Arkansas, Alabama, Kentucky, West Virginia, New York, many of the New England states, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Connecticut, these states are allowing mail-in voting due to COVID-19. And in the following states, Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Tennessee, South Carolina, and Indiana only, only those states, an excuse is required in order to get a mail-in ballot. So for the most part, you can mail stuff in pretty much freely. And that bothers me. Now, why it matters, it says. Well, because it says the more early voting there is, the greater the impacts if there are problems with the U.S. Postal Service, ballot shortages, confusion, lawsuits, and delays. North Carolina will be the first state to send out absentee ballots, sending them out today, September 4th. Minnesota and South Dakota will be the first states to allow voters to cast ballots early in person, starting September 18th. Now, there's no reason for that. There's no reason for that. Why should there be early voting? You either get an absentee ballot if you're not going to be around November 3rd, or you vote in person. If you can vote in person on September 18th, you can vote in person on November 3rd. No problem. Texas, Tennessee, South Carolina, Mississippi, Louisiana, Kentucky, Indiana, New York require an excuse to vote absentee. Though New York is poised to change, and more may follow. Now, that doesn't square with the map they said. They said that it's allowing due to COVID-19. I'm sure the governor can be relied upon to sign an executive order 
sycophant that he is for the Democratic Party. 11 states require absentee ballots to be notarized, have a witness signature, or submitted a co- with a copy of an ID. 32 states require mail-in ballots to be received by Election Day. Rules that could present a problem if Postal Service delays continue through November. Voters in Rhode Island have until October 13th to request absentee ballots and the 20th in New Mexico and Nevada. That's pretty bad. Look, the bottom line is if you're that worried about your vote, you'd vote in person. Come on. Come on. You would vote in person. The only reason for this mail-in voting, we all know it, is because the internal polling has shown for some time that Joe Biden and the Democratic Party are in deep doo-doo as far as the national election is concerned. The Brennan Center uh, is tracking litigation. There is litigation currently in 32 states dealing with mail-in voting, early voting, voter purges, polling places, and other election issues. So it isn't like people are just sitting down on their hands. There's a big issue with this mail-in voting. They're going to try and steal this election. It's amazing. The people who accuse Trump of trying to steal an election are the ones that are trying to steal it themselves. They were trying to steal it the last time when they saw the handwriting on the wall. There was about a two or three hour period where there were no updates on any of the states. Go back and look at it. That's the wonder of YouTube. You can go back on YouTube and you can look at the live coverage of the election. Every couple of minutes or every once the polls started closing, they started giving you a new state. Well, we got an update. So-and-so is ahead. They just stopped calling states. Why? Because they were looking for votes. It's like when that piece of garbage Al Franken won senator. That guy, putting him in a Senate seat is like putting ice cream on a hot dog. This guy was a third-rate comedian who sucked. And here he becomes the senator, not a congressperson, the senator from the state of Minnesota. And every time that this election went on for weeks after Election Day, contested, all of a sudden, you say, oh, look at this. We just found 500 more votes. And what do you know? They're all for Al Franken. <laughs> I mean, ridiculous. They're doing it right out, right out in the open, and nobody says anything. But I have to believe that if this has not escaped me, it has not escaped others in the Trump administration, and they must have some contingency for how they're going to deal with this. And I suspect this is the main reason why um, you got Hillary, the Hillabeast, Hildebeest out there telling uh, Sleepy Joe, do not concede. Do not concede the election. Under any circumstance, do not concede the election. And I suspect that's why the Hildebeest is out there doing that. Uh, and I, I think there'll be a little pressure there going on. If it's a big landslide on election eve, Sleepy Joe is going to be hard-pressed not to concede. And wait till you see how these CNN commentators, these ABC, NBC, mainstream media commentators get up there and defend his not conceding if that's what he chooses to do because of this great phenomenon of mail-in ballots. This is like the salami slice approach. People always look for a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time because they know that people won't swallow change in one fell swoop. You have to try to like get it in there a slice at a time, a slice at a time. They wear people down. It's about time we stood up and said, look, voting on election day worked for us for almost 200 years for over 200 years, and it can still work. There's no reason for this nonsense. There's no reason for this stuff. The only possible reason is to exploit it for fraud. The whole reason why we had voting in person was to avoid fraud. And there were very strict rules for absentee ballots. And we better get back to that, or we're going to lose this democracy, and we're going to become a banana republic. Now, 
I wanted to talk about something else today, uh, a little bit off the beaten path. But there's much that's been made of white privilege in the last year or so. Uh, and since race seems to be a big issue in this election, with everyone trying to exploit it one way or the other, um, the Democrats trying to start a race war, the president doing his best to prevent one, uh, I, I take it a little bit personally when I see people looking for any excuse to make something a racial issue. Now, this happened on ESPN. I'm not a big sports fan anymore. Uh, I've, I've been turned off by a lot of what's going on in professional sports, this taking of the knee with the NFL that started with that, that fool, Colin Kaepernick, and now Major League Baseball getting into the act and the NBA. I think there's far too much emphasis placed on professional sports in this country, and so I'm boycotting it. I don't need it. It doesn't make any difference in my life. I don't depend on them. They depend on me. If it wasn't for people... Uh, working-class people who are out there buying tickets, watching on TV, uh, fueling the advertising dollars, these people wouldn't be able to make the money that they make. They're not demigods. Their opinion isn't any more valid than mine. In fact, probably less so because they live in a bubble as a product of their wealth. So what happened? Steve Nash, a former player, great player, a good dude, uh, according to Charles Barkley, was given a four-year contract as the new head coach of the Brooklyn Nets. Congratulations, Steve Nash. Only one problem, not for me, but for many people, for some people apparently, Steve Nash is white. So we had Stephen Smith. He's a commentator on ESPN. I've liked some of the things that Stephen Smith has said over the years, and I was rather disappointed in what he said this time. He called it white privilege. He said that Stephen Nash's Nash's uh, hiring was white privilege. And I'm trying to um, see if I can find the exact quote here. Let's see if we can find it. But Charles Barkley, uh, who's always on TV, he didn't like it. He didn't like the way that comment was made. And so he called him out directly. Here's the quote. This is Charles Barkley now. I was very disappointed in some of the guys on television today <clears throat> talking about white privilege. Very disappointed. In fact, oh, look, I think I found the, uh, the video clip here. I'll let Barkley speak for himself. Listen for here, and you can hear yourself what Charles Barkley has to say. Okay? Turn my mic around. Listen up. Why isn't it going now? I have to refresh the page. One second. See if I can get this here for you. Okay, let's back and find it. Right, here it is. Okay, here we go. I was very disappointed at some of the guys on television today uh, talking about uh, white privilege. Very disappointed. They're like, well, this doesn't happen to black guys. And I'm like, what happened to Doc Rivers? It happened to Jason Kidd. It happened to Derek Fisher. So I was really disappointed uh, in some of those guys. Said, Isaiah Thomas. Yeah, I was really disappointed guys said, and Isaiah Thomas, uh, uh, not d disappointed in Isaiah, but I just think when you have a responsibility, especially when you have to talk about something serious like race, you can't be full of crap. You got to be honest and fair. 
So listen, I like I say, Steve Nash is a great player and a good dude. But I was so disappointed on these guys. So I said, dude, black guys have done this before. Now, do we need more black coaches in the NBA? Yes. Do we need more black coaches in college football? Yes. Do we need more uh, black coaches in pro football? Yes. But this wasn't the right time to set it today. Good luck to Steve Nash. Now, Charles there. Barkley is is a is a stand up guy. He's saying, look, I understand people want to see more black coaches in the NFL, the NBA, and college football. He says, but to act like Steve Nash was given something and that this type of thing, apparently the rub they're trying to say is that Steve Nash doesn't have uh, the same level of experience as some other qualified black candidates. So the picture that was trying to be painted by Stephen Smith of ESPN was that this type of thing doesn't happen to black guys, that you never get... Uh, black guys who are underqualified that get an NBA coaching job. It's just white privilege that allowed this underqualified former player, Steve Nash, to be uh, selected as a head coach. And Charles Barkley saying, well, man, it has. Jason Kidd, he, and he went on to name those players. He says that, that, that these people, uh, they were underqualified, and they were given it, and they're black. He says, you know... We, you know, we need more black coaches. He said, that's true. He said, but this, this is wrong, and this was not the right time to make this case, and good luck to Steve Nash. He's a good guy. Now, that, that's a comment made by a true gentleman. Here's a guy who's, who is a black man, and he's calling it like he sees it, and he says it right where it is. So uh, these are things that, uh, that, that, I, that get, my, get me riled when people use race just to use any excuse to interject race. There was no reason to make this a racial issue, and yet you got Stephen Smith, who should know better, making it a racial issue. So I decided to do a little research on something which is a bit of a, um, a sore topic with me. When I was younger, I was an avid, avid baseball fan. I loved baseball. I thought it was one of the greatest games, and it was a lot of fun playing, and I, I really loved baseball, and I really loved the Cincinnati Reds. And I really loved Pete Rose. Pete Rose was the very first baseball card I ever got in a box of cereal. It was a 3D card. I didn't know what it was worth at the time. If I had known, I would have held on to it, uh, what, it, what, it well, what it could have become worth. And it, I'm sure it's worth a lot now. Uh, but um, in any case, I became a big fan. And I have always been very, very disappointed that Pete Rose was never inducted into the Hall of Fame. He lost his chance to be inducted on the first ballot. Uh, he was banned from baseball wrongfully by Bart Giamatti, in my view. They said because he admitted betting on baseball. I don't know that anyone uh, has established that he bet against his team. There have certainly been other people who have done far worse and are in the Hall of Fame. Uh, we have... Uh, Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, uh, they were considered for the Hall of Fame. Uh, they had a way in. But look at this old article I'm reading here from the New York Times. He said, drawing an integrity line in the sand is a tenuous stance at a Hall of Fame with a membership that already includes multiple virulent racists, drunks, cheats, brawlers, drug users, and at least one acknowledged sex addict. There's a lot of people that are in the Hall of Fame, and some of them were very good players, but they weren't very good people. And there are other people in the Hall of Fame who may have been very, very good people and very well-liked, but were not the greatest of players. 
this being New York, you know, Phil Rizzuto was a beloved man in the Yankee organization. He was beloved when he was playing. He was beloved when he was announcer. He was down to earth. He had his little phrases there, holy cow. But, and he was on some championship teams, but his numbers just don't speak to a Hall of Fame career. But he was given induction into the Hall of Fame. Let's look at Ty Cobb, known as the Georgia Peach. They said he was a sociopath. He had Af- uh, documented altercations with African Americans uh, off the field, including one that led to a charge of attempted murder. Uh, supposedly him and Tris Speaker were members of the Ku Klux uh, Klan. That's not something, if you want character, that's not some, uh, uh, something that a person who's inducted in the Hall of Fame should be allowed to have engaged in. Uh, I'm looking at other guys here. Um, what are we here? Mm-hmm. Ah, Babe Ruth, of course. Great player, maybe the greatest player ever to play the game. But an unbelievable drunk and an unbelievable womanizer. They got a right fielder here they talk about called Paul Wanner, class of 52. Casey Stengel, the great Casey Stengel, called him a graceful player. Do you know why? He said because he could slide into second base without breaking the bottle in his hip pocket. He was a drunk. Famed Chicago newspaper columnist Mike Royko once wrote of the great Hack Wilson, who has the RBI record, I think, for the National League, if my memory serves me correct, that he should have been moved to first base from the outfield where he usually played because he wouldn't have as far to stagger to the dugout. Grover Cleveland supposedly pitched better when he was drunk than when he was sober. Gaylord Perry had a complete disregard for the rules and was uh, doctored baseballs with spit, Vaseline, and other substances that were all illegal. Orlando Cepeda served 10 months in prison after being arrested in 1975 for smuggling marijuana into Puerto Rico. Uh, the Baseball Writers Association did not select him for the Hall of Fame. Instead, Cepeda was elected by the Veterans Committee in 1999. But by hook or by crook, he got in. Okay. Uh, other players have confessed to serious use of illicit recreational drugs. Paul Molitor, class of 2004. Or had racetrack gambling issues. Rogers Hornsby, class of 1942. Wade Boggs, class of 2005. After an extramarital affair was exposed during his playing days, announced to Barbara Walters on national television that he was a sex addict. It just goes around and around and around. And then we come to Pete Rose. We come to Pete Rose, who played more games than any other baseball player at the time of his retirement, has three batting titles, played on several World Series teams, two with the Cincinnati Reds, another with the Philadelphia Phillies. He was an all-star at five positions. I think that's a record. He's the all-time hit leader. He's gotten more hits than any other man who ever played the game of baseball. He's the man who said he would run through hell in a gasoline suit just to keep playing baseball. Yet he's not allowed to have anything to do with professional baseball. He's not allowed to go to a game. He's not allowed to provide commentary on a game. He's not allowed to be even on the ballot to be inducted in the Hall of Fame. This is the same baseball, the same Major League Baseball that allowed players to sell drugs. Keith Hernandez, 
was involved with cocaine and other drugs. He was supposedly suspended, suspended for a year, but the commissioner at the time said he would hold the suspension in abeyance if they did adequate community service. So much that has been done by so many people has been forgiven or else looked the other way and allowed people to get in. So many of them. I think it's because of baseball's failings with its ability to enforce an adequate drug policy or anything else that makes them cling to this banning of Pete Rose. It's about the only decision they've ever made that looks like a real decision, that looks like they've got balls and that they're, they're tough and they can stick to something. It's the only decision that they, I guess they feel that if they abandon, makes them look like the laughingstock. Well, I think it's about time for baseball to stop worrying about whether or not they look like the laughingstock. I got news for you, commissioners. You are the laughingstock. You were the great American pastime who, thanks to your mismanagement of the game and mismanagement of policy, whose time has now passed. Pete Rose is one of the greatest players to ever play the game. He gave 110%, left nothing on the field, and he was the kind of man that anybody would want on their roster. I remember Don Zimmer former manager, said to Pete Rose, he was sitting on his bench and a lot of guys on his bench were saying, ah, Charlie, hustle my ass. He says, you know what I'm thinking? I wish everybody played like that. So Stephen Smith at ESPN, you and your other fools over there, I think you know everything about everything when it comes to sports. Before you start talking about white privilege, Remember that one of the greatest players to ever play the game of baseball, a man with more hits than anybody else, Pete Rose, is white, and he isn't in the Hall of Fame. If every, anybody deserved to be, Pete Rose certainly does. How's that white privilege working for you? For National Preview Online, I'm Jamie Dury.